Well, good morning. Thank you all for coming early for, for Sunday school. Uh, excited for this lesson here. These are going to be, uh, the next few weeks are going to be pretty good, just focusing on the church. Um, so some important things to talk about, lots to talk about. Hopefully I can make it in time here. Um, pray with me, though, here as we start. Father, we, we just thank you. We adore you. Um, being reminded why we're here, that we get to learn more about you. What a blessing. More, more importantly, that we're saved because of Jesus Christ. And that truth can never get old. Um, we can never cease to um, think about it because it's so incredible that the God of the universe sent his son to come die for us. And we get to reap blessing upon blessing for that. And this morning is one of those blessings. So we pray that you are just glorified in this conversation this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, okay, so this is session seven, the church's impact on cultural Christianity. Um, so far, we've spent a few weeks defining cultural Christianity, right? The first few weeks where we talked a lot about it, actually. Some of the, the core beliefs that they would believe, uh, morality, works, civic religion. And then we spent a couple weeks talking about barriers, common obstacles in evangelizing a cultural Christian. Any of you remember what any of those were? Some of the obstacles? Can't say Jesus. Well, I guess you could maybe. Yeah. And we talked about belief, right? But as weird as it is, belief is a, is a barrier for a cultural Christian because they already think they believe, and that's good enough. I got baptized, rites of passage, right? Lots of rites of passage. Oh, I, I signed that card like 15 years ago at this convention. I'm good to go. Was I? I'm an American. Yeah, heritage. We talked about heritage too. My my granddaddy was a pastor. Um, my whole family's been Christians for multiple generations, so I kind of fall right into that. So I'm good to go. So the couple weeks we talked about that. Kevin last week talked about false assurance. Um, that false assurance itself is a barrier to cultural Christianity because of these things that we've been talking about. They they. It's the mentality that I'm good to go because I did X, Y, Z, and there's no more. I have to think about it. Like, I'm just good. I don't. doesn't matter how I live my life. doesn't matter if I go to church. I'm going to go to heaven when I die because of this moment. Uh, so now the next four weeks, we're going to focus on um, the church. Now, why do you think the church is worth examining here as we study this topic of cultural Christianity? Why bring the church into this? Not all of them teach the truth. Okay, not all of them teach the truth. I wish that weren't the case. We need to be the example. Yeah, and Kathy, I like how you said we, as you're already associating yourself with the church. And in every single time, that's right. And in this context, I'm actually going to be talking about more the leadership, the pastors, the church. But you're, you're, that still matters 100%. Because we, we are a part of that in home groups and discussions that we're having. Why else is it important to bring the church into this discussion? Yeah, exactly. And um, have you ever heard that, that concept that what you win them with is what you win them to in a church? So it's, it's really... Uh, this is used in the context of like um, seeker-sensitive churches or, or churches that exist to be seeker-friendly, as they call it, which means they're basically, their main focus on a Sunday is to bring people in, unbelievers in, and um, get them plugged in and uh, do the altar call or whatever and get them saved. Um, but the problem with that then is the, the teaching is not gospel-centered. It's not, uh, I don't want to say it's not biblical, but they're not expositorily preaching, right, through the scriptures. It's usually going to be something that moves the heartstrings, something to talk about how much Jesus loves them and just focus on that. And so this concept of what you win them with is what you win them to means that if you win them in this way, if you win them through soft preaching, well, that's then what they're going to expect. And you really can't change after that. And if you do, you're going to lose half your church. And so the church is very important because cultural Christians, it's common for them to go to church. Right? 
maybe not every Sunday, but they'll go to church. And the church has a responsibility, obviously, of preaching the gospel. <laughs> That's the church's main responsibility, right? We're heralding the gospel. Pastors and preachers are up here. Their job is to proclaim God's word. Romans 1, 16 and 17, we talked about it's the power unto salvation. And that word power means dynamite. So we know scripturally that what induces change in people, what, what gives the Holy Spirit fuel and ammo to work is God's word. That's the ammunition. And if we don't have that, then what do we have? And there's a lot of churches that don't have it, so it turns into something else. So um, the local church can be an incubator of cultural Christianity or a remedy for it. I like that line. The, the local church can be an incubator of cultural Christianity or a remedy for it. And so the next four weeks, I'm going to be using this line a lot because that's why we're looking at the church specifically. It's either going to foster cultural Christianity or it can fight against it. So we're going to look at some most common fault lines, as I like to call them, in the American church that can be a catalyst in fostering cultural Christianity. Today's lesson specifically is on church membership. Now, um, I'm not going to be building a case for church membership from the ground up. I know church membership in of itself is a unfortunately controversial issue, even amongst brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, we go, we, that's probably some of the most questions we have in our new members classes. Membership's not biblical. I don't see it in the Bible. Where's the text? Um, and so this morning is not so much defending church membership from the ground up, um, but we're going to be talking more about how church membership is viewed in practice. So I'm starting this morning assuming that church membership is what, what should happen in churches. But we're going to be looking specifically, though, of what does that mean then? How is church membership viewed? Because unfortunately, once we get over that first hurdle of, you know, okay, church membership, we should have it. It's important. Well, then there's another hurdle of, well, what does that mean? What does it look like? And that's what we're going to be focusing on this morning. It's what Dean and Sarah calls lax membership or the country club church. The country club church. So it's churches that either don't practice formal membership at all. We will hit on that a little bit. But mostly it's churches that don't take formal membership seriously. And we'll define what that means here in a second. So this morning the goal is we're going to look at church membership uh, biblically and, and what it has become. So we're going to look at what it was biblically and what it has become so what it has become, point one, church membership has been redefined. Church membership has been redefined. Uh, and Sarah opens up this chapter with a question someone asked him when he planted his, one of his first churches. He was kind of new to the pastor game, the church planning game. He planted this church, and they went through this membership class. And the question was, <clears throat> what's the point? What's the point, pastor? Why, why, why do this? What changes Monday? if I become a member on Sunday? And he talks about how this question tripped him up quite a bit because he didn't have an answer. And he went home and he thought about it. He thought about the membership process and he's like, Man, I don't have a good answer for this. What happens Monday if you become a church member on Sunday? Here he says, in our early years as a church, it only meant we were the church you said you were going to come to on a Sunday morning until you decided to go somewhere else. As I considered the cultural Christian climate of the city we had set out to reach, I came to the humbling realization that I had been unaware that our model of church membership was the very type of church practice that allows cultural Christianity to flourish. We had it in place because we thought we were supposed to, I guess, but we couldn't really describe why it mattered. Unsaved Christians thrive where church membership means nothing and is available to all without anything changing the day after you sign up. Thoughts on this statement. Why, why do cultural Christians thrive where church membership means nothing? Okay, they're in. Yeah. There's no obligation at all. I have several friends who go to church on a regular basis, but they don't believe that church membership should be the means that you have to uh, be accountable to somebody. Yeah. And in the old days, uh, 
avoiding that church, not joining the body of Christ. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Seen as you're joining that specific church as if it's a club membership, but you're not but joining the body. Sins, like you're in with Christ, but you're not. Mm-hmm. You don't do this thing. You said something, Nate? Same as Jack. No accountability. No accountability. It's just asking nothing. <clears throat> yeah. Any other thoughts on that? Why does cultural Christianity thrive or church membership means nothing? Yeah. And that, that's probably looked at as a plus for most. I know even for Kel and I it was at our old church. It was it got really nice to be able to kind of we didn't feel super great or we had a busy week. Uh, and that was on me as the leader of the home. I'd be like, let's just we deserve this, let's let's not go to church. And by not doing that, no one asked anything. And you know that, so you're good to go. So you just, you know, you're not, it's not going to require you to change anything in your life. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, you're not going to be pressed much. So this is an interesting topic to think about all the stuff we've been building up in this lesson of cultural Christianity because we know what they believe. We know barriers, the things that trip them up. And, and now that we're seeing this, it's like, wow, the church does play an important role on incubating cultural Christians or fighting against it. Um, so although there are many churches that don't hold to any sort of membership, there are a lot of churches that don't hold to any membership model whatsoever. Um, and Sarah suggests that the real issues aren't so much that they're rejecting membership, but they're redefining what it is. So that's really what we're looking at is, it's not so much that churches aren't doing membership. I, I didn't want to spend too much time talking about that because I think that's pretty clear, hopefully, of the implications of not having church membership. But we want to focus more on churches that say, yeah, no, we have membership. I'm a member. Well, what does that mean? Because it's been redefined. So there are several churches who, who would say they have members um, or congregants who would say that they're members of a church. I remember my old job. I had a lot of a lot of guys who were believers, they said they were believers, and seeing them in the corporate environment, I didn't see a lot of fruit there. Um, so I was always kind of curious about that. And I remember having a discussion with one of my buddies, and he was like, I was like, do you guys practice church membership? And he's like, yeah, no, we've been a member for 10 years. It's like, oh, interesting. And then you ask, well, what does that mean? And it's funny, the, the look I got, because it's as if no one had ever asked them that before. As if it was a kind of a dumb question. Well, what do you mean? What is I, I signed a paper 10 years ago. I went to a class, signed a paper. Like, what else do you want? <laughs> and that was normal to him. So it's just as belief in God isn't a foreign concept to a cultural Christian. We talked about that. They're going to tell you they believe the Bible. They, they believe in God. Um, they have Christianese language, right? They can, they can use these same terms. Well, having a church to call their own isn't a foreign concept either. So that's something that we have to understand first and foremost. Now, again, I'm broad, broad brush stroking here, cultural Christianity. Yeah, there's some cultural Christians that will say, I don't go to church at all. I don't need to. But there are many who will say, yeah, I belong to a church. I go to church. I only go once a month or once every couple of months because we're busy with sports or whatever, but this is my church. And they may even have that church sticker on their car, right? Um, but we know this is kind of subjective, right? Church membership can mean many different things to many different people. Even in this room, church membership can mean many different things to many different people. And this is because membership is not a, a unique concept in our society, right? In general. How many of you have a Costco membership? <laughs> Sorry if that's information that's too sensitive for people to know. Uh, but yeah, we're, we're members of gyms, right? Local clubs, uh, Facebook groups. I mean, you're members of Facebook groups. A neighborhood communities, you become a member of that. But what are some distinctions you can think of where church membership maybe differs from these other club-type memberships that we're familiar with in society? What are some distinctions that we could draw? Hmm? Discipline. Like Costco doesn't discipline you? <laughs> Except when they won't return your, your 10-year-old rusted barbecue. <laughs> yeah, there's no, yeah. And that's a whole, yeah, church discipline. Okay. That's an interesting point. So if you're at a gym, 
That's a really interesting point, Jack. So I'm thinking I'm a member of a gym. Now, they wouldn't want me doing this, but there's no, there's nothing that says I can or shouldn't. And there's no, to, to Bob's point, ramifications. But say I'm a member of a gym and I'm wearing all their logo stuff. And I'm out just flipping everybody off on the highway, cutting everybody off, and I'm on the news channel because I got tasered, and I'm all in the gym gear. Do you think the gym's going to call me and be like, Dave, <laughs> you got to come in here and we're going to talk to you? Probably not. Yeah, there's no accountability there. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a lot of distinctions that could be made here, and, and this is what it's good to start getting our, yeah, Josh. One interesting one, too, is pay to play. What do you mean by that? Yeah, you have to pay to get in to Costco, right, to the gym, right? You don't have to pay to get into these services. Ultimately, yes, there are often giving financial obligations. Some of them, but that follows, doesn't, it, it follows, it doesn't increase. Mm-hmm, yeah. 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 Well, and, and in, in part, I agree with you, Josh, but there is, there is a part too where you can be a member of church and pay and think that that's, that's good enough too. And we'll talk about that. Um, so let's look at some examples of what church membership is not and how formalities, they start to form, right? They form in our lives. Formalities can kind of be bad for us. Um, you remember the Pharisees, you know, is, is this Jesus of Nazareth? What good comes out of Nazareth? Right? They become familiar with Nazareth. Nothing so familiar to where they're like, nothing good can come out of that. So you're telling me the Messiah is out of Nazareth? Well, we, we do the same thing with formalities in our own lives. And that's, that's been breeds some misconceptions. So number one, common misconceptions, attendance makes members. This is simple. Simply coming to a church makes you a member. There are some churches that will do this in membership. If, if you come, you belong. If it's day one, doesn't matter. You're a member of this church the moment you step foot in this door. That one's pretty simple. Number two, responses make members. What do you think that means? Responses make members. Yeah, raise your hand during service, um, and then we'll flag you at the end of the service. We'll come, we'll talk to you, we'll have you sign a card, um, and you're a member. Uh, walk down this aisle, become a member. Um, classes make members. What do you guys think this means? Classes make members. We do a class, right? Hmm? Yeah, yeah, we do that here. Um, there's some churches, though, where membership class will look like, let's go in this room after church for a few hours, and we'll answer any questions you have. Um, and if everything checks off, then we'll, you'll sign the paper. Then and there, and you're now a member. Uh, baptism makes members. That's pretty straightforward, too, right? Some churches, their membership's dictated off of baptism. Uh, if you're, obviously, if you're in the church, you're already baptized. I don't know what that looks like. Maybe an interview. But um, if you're baptized in service, and you got to remember, some of these churches are baptizing people every single week um, by, <laughs> by tens and twenties. So the minute you, you get baptized in the church, you're now a member of the family, of the church family. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm not going there, Jack. <laughs> I don't have time for that. <laughs> um, giving makes members. What do you think that means? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. You give ones like we're, we're, we're keeping track of who's tithing at the church. Um, and, oh, I haven't seen this person. We don't have them on record. And they gave. So they're a member of the church now because they're giving to the church. Serving. Number six, serving makes members. You come to a church. We want to get you plugged in. And the minute we get you plugged in, and this could be within a month of you being new to the church, we want to get you serving. And once you start serving, that makes you a member. Because it makes sense, right? You're serving in the church, so you're now a member of it. Number seven, time attended makes members. How long one has belonged to a church? Some churches will dictate their membership based on you've been here a year. You've been here seven years. You are a member. This is your church. You're a member. 
So every single one of these reasons still doesn't answer the question, well, what's the point, right? We can look at all seven of these and say, well, what's the point of being a member? What changes on Monday when I give that check on Sunday? What changes on Monday if I get baptized in the church on Sunday? What changes Monday when I serve for my first time on Sunday? And what's worse is calling these church membership, calling all seven of these reasons church membership, then continues to um, build a stronger sense of false assurance for cultural Christians, right? You're almost feeding the beast at that point because not only now do you have people inside of your church that you don't really know where they're at. You don't even know if they have a gospel understanding. They're now saying, I identify, this is my church. Like, I'm, this, is, this is where I belong. So now they're out into the, into the world. And yeah, no, I love Jesus. You love Jesus too. Great. What church do you go to? Oh, I go to this church. I'm a member there. Oh, great. No more questions asked, right? We just kind of go on our separate ways and it's like, oh, he's a Christian. He goes to this church. It's great. So in a sense, it's another rite of passage, right? And we talk a lot about rites of passage and this will keep coming back up, but um, being a church member is another rite of passage. Um, I was talking to a buddy of mine who tends a church, right? It's about this size. And he was telling me, he, so you guys all know on a Sunday, especially if you've been here for a while, you can pretty much see when someone's new or someone that you don't recognize. Unless you're like me and you're always busy doing worship or something and you ask someone, they're like, I've been here for a year. I'm like, sorry, I'm a pastor here. I don't know you. <clears throat> so he saw someone that he was like, oh, I bet they're new. I'm going to go up to them. I'm going to introduce myself. And um, he said, hey, yeah, great, you know. My name is Sussan Shush. How long have you been going here? And they're like, oh, a couple years. And he, <laughs> he said he was kind of like <clears throat> taken aback because he knows everybody that's coming in, most everybody that's coming in on Sunday. And to not even say like three months, but to say I've been coming here for two years, it just wasn't good enough for him because he's like, I got to figure this out because I've never seen this person before. And, and uh, he actually found out that this person was like, yeah, no, I've been coming here for two years, but they came like once every six months for two years. <laughs> so that was the clarifying point there. And that's why it was so strange to him. And that's like a real thing, right? Like, yeah, I mean, I've been coming here for two years. Been here three times. <laughs> All right, second point. Church membership has become like a country club. <clears throat> church membership has become like a country club. Country clubs exist to thrive off of catering to their members. It's important to, to know when it comes to country clubs. They, they exist to thrive off of catering to their members. How well they cater to their members will equal the success of the country club. Very important to know. And Sarah writes, country clubs thrive only to the extent that they cater to their members. If the members of the club aren't happy, they will leave for another club across town. If you are employed by a country club, you don't want to commit the, the unforgivable sin, upsetting the members. This makes sense for a country club with tennis courts and 18 holes of golf, but in churches, it allows unsaved Christianity to exist unchallenged. Circle that word unchallenged because I think, and I haven't been mentioning this enough, but I think this whole idea of challenging is what we should be focused on as we continue to go through the study. That's the whole point of the study is to learn about it but it's also called to us, we, we should be challenging this. And, and that's a scary line to cross because we're not gonna do it well all the time. I mean, we have to be very careful here. But for me, it's easier for me to be like, I'm just not gonna do it at all because I don't wanna like say it wrong or question this person's salvation. But we, we can't let that be an excuse. This has to go challenged. Well, I've noticed when you do ask someone about their Involvement in the church for for the reason that the first thing that comes out of your mouth is, uh, well, you know, you don't have the right to judge. Only God has the right. To judge. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. We hear that all too often. We're not to judge people, and only God will judge them. And, and it's like, yeah, He will, and that's why we need to talk, because <laughs> He will judge you. <clears throat> so, what does this country club mentality produce in a church? I have six things here. First one is soft teaching. What do I mean by that? Soft teaching. Why? Yeah. Yeah. 
don't want to convict exactly. Right. Well, and ultimately, it's not wanting to be like Jesus when he had the crowds desert him. <laughs> right. We tend to forget that happened. Yeah. And thousands of people were like, "I'm, I'm out of here." Yeah. Good food, though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and we can understand this, right? I mean, this makes sense. I don't want to just sit up here and slant people who think that this makes sense. If, if your philosophy in church is to bring, bring people in and keep them happy, well, then you should be doing this. Stop is topical. Yeah, topical, yeah. Chuck, go ahead. I think a lot of it has to do with leaders going to conferences and people asking them how large the church. <laughs> yeah. And as many members as they can I know of a pastor who um, had annual performance reviews and was let go because he was supposed to produce X amount of men's ministry volunteers and people, and he just didn't do it. And it's like, where's the hope and trust in the Holy Spirit of God building his church? If you have one, great. If you have a hundred, whatever, but you're hundred percent right. It's numbers are a big thing. And there's, I don't know if you catch it. I have a lot of people from uh, good friends from other churches. It's, you know, yeah, we had a men's night. We had testimony. Oh, how many people were there? You know? <laughs> oh, we did one like that. We had, we had 100. We had 200. It's great. We've been growing. It's just numbers aren't a bad thing, but when that becomes the first question, it tells a lot. That's a good point. Yeah, we've been in churches where they actually have a board attendance. Oh, yeah. I was at the Chiefs hockey game last night. Was it like that? Where they're like, sold out, 10,000 people. <laughs> um, number two. <clears throat> what does this country club mentality produce in a church? Constant turnover. <clears throat> what does that mean? Yeah, you're not going to make my caramel macchiato the right way. I'm out of here. <laughs> That's right. Um, yeah, and <laughs> I bring COVID up almost every week because it's just such a picture of this. You know, um, you were able to see how much grace really abounded in a church when the whole masking thing came up and just people instantly just gone um, over simple decisions. Um, so constant turnover. Yeah, you're going to see a lot of people come and go. But typically these are these are larger churches, so you're not going to notice as much, especially if there's six different services. Um, who knows? Um, number three, consumeristic behavior. We talked about this a little bit, you know, it's people who are there to be served. So this church needs to have the music that I like. I want them to play the songs that I'm used to on the radio. Um, I want them to have the youth ministry for my family. I mean, they gotta, they gotta be helping my kids out here and I want it to be good. I want it to be relevant. Um, this touches serving consumeristic behavior. Uh, it could be a church of over a thousand people and they're struggling to find 20 people to serve in the ministry because they're not there. They're not teaching them that they're there to serve. They're there to be served, right? Um, I want the lights off when I'm singing because I just, I get in tune with God more and I don't, I'm embarrassed to sing when people are, are seeing me. So I want the lights off. Number four, non-committal members. This kind of touches constant turnover a little bit, but yeah, there's no commitment there. They can give once, they can give every week, but you just don't really know. Um, you don't know if they're going to keep showing up. And that touches number five, selective generosity. They may drop that tithe check um, with the mentality of like, hey, I'm doing a great thing. Here's a, here's a check. This is a great church. I like what they're doing. Um, I saw that UGM bucket in the lobby. That's great. Here's some of my money. Um, but they may not give again till Christmas time or ever. Uh, number six, weak discipleship. Let's talk about this one a little bit. Why weak discipleship? Not discipling. Yeah, it's interesting when you look at points one through five, how do you disciple 
when all of these, you have non-committal members, you have consumeristic behavior, you're having constant turnover, uh, that makes it really difficult. And the soft teaching is the big one. Yeah, discipleship's gonna look, it's probably gonna be some kind of discipleship book where it's about you and making your life better. And there's a, unfortunately, there's a lot of those out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And and look, if you're this this whole model of seeker sensitive churches is it just fails on so many levels. And we we know historically that's not what the church was, but it's huge. It's the majority of churches today, and and that's just the problem is when you're building your church to exist where your, your members, your people, really on a Sunday are meant to serve. They're, they're, and I know we say that, we say that about our church, but that means different things, right? They're meant, you're cogs in a wheel on a Sunday. You're not there to, to worship yourself or to like hear the message. You're there to help all the people that we're bringing in, you're helped to just guide them along, you know? Whatever they need, you're there for, the, for those needs and you have that happening. Um, you're not necessarily helping them to see that they continue, continually need to be discipled, right? That they need to hear the gospel still, that they need to grow. Um, I have a close friend who I, almost every year he tells me, Dave, I just feel like I need to start like at 101, like Christianity 101. I just feel like I've been a Christian for 20 years. And I just, I don't know enough of the Bible. And, and I hear this every year. And I'm like, well, you're not doing anything about it. Why not? And, and I think a large part of it has to do with this church too. They're not encouraging that. And it's sad. <clears throat> so what should meaningful church membership look like? Uh, a simple way to think of being a member of a local church is to think of the word adoption. I love this picture, adoption. You're being adopted into a local family. It's the other big word there, family. You're being placed into a body of believers. One of you had said that at the beginning here, that, you're not just, I think it was you, uh, Kathy, right? You're not, just, you're not just being part of an establishment. You're, you're being adopted into a family, a body of believers. Um, so this is a huge distinction that you're, you're joining a people. You're not joining a building. You're not joining an establishment, a club. You're joining a people. That concept sounds very simple, but that is so hard to get across, <laughs> right? <clears throat> and... Um, this completely removes that idea of isolated membership, right? You're not joining the church. You're not joining the club. It's your own private membership. No one has any say of what you do or don't. You come and go as you please. But no, we're, we're being adopted into a family. And how messy are families, right? That comes with, with that, this same illustration. I think that could totally fly too. Families are hard. Families are messy. They're wonderful. That's what you're signing on to. Um, so this also assumes active participation. Um, it assumes that you're going to be cared for like a family. You're going to be loved on, but it assumes that you are actively do the same to others, that you will care for people. You will love on people just as you would in a family. So many members coming together. We see this biblically, right? We, it talks about these body members coming together to produce a body. And if the hand's not functioning properly. Well, that body can't do what it needs to do with its hand. You guys all know about the pinky toe, right? If you, if you have your pinky toe chopped off, like your balance is thrown off completely. So it's an interesting thing to think about the, the dumb toe that you can't even clip the nail on all the time because it's always weird. At least mine is. Am I saying too much? You guys want to see my pinky toe? Should I do, do an illustration? I love that. I love that example because a pinky toe is the stupidest thing ever, but it's important for our balance. So that's what we're trying to picture here. It's many members coming together for a body to function the way that God designed the body to function. This is God's design. We talk about the law, right? We talk about the Old Testament of why it's important. And you hear people say, well, you know, if the Old Testament was followed, we wouldn't have to lock our doors at night. It's true. The Old Testament was created to bless us. If everybody followed the Old Testament law, life would be amazing, right? But we don't, so it's not. 
Well, just the same as if members aren't functioning healthily in a body, the body's not going to be a healthy body. It's not going to be able to do what it needs to do. And just as we see it modeled in Acts, this means then that church members are agreeing to be part of discipleship environments together. So if you're going to be a church member, you're agreeing to be part of a discipleship environment. Um, you're going to grow. You're going to learn. You're going to be accountable to others. We talked about that word accountability. You're going to be servants to one another. You're going to be called to give of your time uh, for other people. You're going to be generous with your money and your resources, time being one of the biggest ones. right? You're not just going to drop that check and walk away and feel like, man, this church is lucky to have me. <clears throat> You're going to give a lot. And we see this modeled in Acts. And most importantly, agreeing to be present and active with others in worship. You're going to show up on a Sunday. So what glorifies God the most in his children coming together to worship him in one flesh, one body, right? Um, lifting our voices as one. And that's not even thought of probably half the time. So many of you here this morning are members of GCF. Um, and again, my point in this this morning, I want to be really careful and clear of like, my point is not just of this lesson is not to say, look at us at GCF. I and mean, we are nailing this, that we are the model example. But in fairness, I wanted to, of course, have an illustration of like, We've talked about a lot of churches that do it wrongly. Well, let's look at churches that, that do it well. Well, why would I look at any other ones than ours? I feel like we do a good job. But again, the purpose is not to say that, look at us, we're perfect. But I do want to look at our model here too, because it, it, it's very distinct from what we've been talking about. So you all went through a membership agreement um, that was pretty detailed when you had your membership uh, interview at the new members class, and it's something that um, we, we usually go through once a year. But it's a pretty stark contrast compared to these formalities that we've been talking about, right? So let's take a look at this membership agreement together, which I did not bring up. Let me grab a copy here. I'm secretly going to make someone a member this morning by signing this. It's going to be great. I told Jeff I'll get one new member this morning. Otherwise, I'm fired. <laughs> yeah, just kind of sign below that to say that you, you joined Sunday school. That's all it is. It's just, it's for attendance. Okay, church membership agreement. <clears throat> now, consider everything that we've talked about of what church membership can be thought of, right? <clears throat> Preamble, a local church is more than a Sunday gathering. Fellowship in the church is realized in committed relationships as we seek to help one another grow in love and obedience to Christ. At Grace Christian Fellowship Church, our commitments to one another are summarized in the following church membership agreement. Now think of this in light of a cultural Christian coming in and exploring membership. And by the way, Dean and Sarah talks about this because I, I mentioned early on how he, he said he couldn't answer that question, Right. And one thing I failed to mention was, well, then what happened? And this is what woke Dean and Sarah up to being a pastor of this plant, was we need to be able to answer this question. And that's when he realized his membership process, it wasn't, it wasn't evangelistic. It wasn't doing anything to help see where people were at. And so, again, this is not coming from a position of slamming others and, and being like, we need to let people know they're not a Christian. No, it, it's, it's to just know how to shepherd somebody, how to know where they're at. Do they understand the gospel? So... With that in mind, imagine somebody coming in, exploring membership, and reading through this. Um, membership agreement. Having been brought by God's grace to repentance and faith in Jesus, and having been baptized upon profession of that faith, we now commit to one another by God's enabling grace. Uh, we will seek to grow our relationship with the Lord through the word and prayer, we will live in, a, in accord with the gospel we believe, honoring Jesus in public and in private, in every sphere of life and in all relationships, encouraging obedience to Jesus among Christians and seeking the salvation of those who remain outside of Jesus. We will gather each Sunday as God enables us to worship the triune God together by listening to the reading and preaching of his word, praying and singing his word, confessing our sins and our faith and celebrating the Lord's Supper. We will also look for other opportunities to gather with one another to encourage each other's obedience to Jesus in all things. 
We will care for one another by praying for each other, discipling each other, serving each other, speaking truth and love, rejoicing in each other's happiness, and bearing each other's burdens. If a member remains in clear and unrepentant sin, we will lovingly seek his or her repentance as directed by God's word. We will humbly pursue the unity of this church by avoiding gossip, grudges, and sowing discord. By being quick to forgive and seeking reconciliation with those we have offended. We will follow the leadership of the elders as those who will give an account for keeping watch over our souls. We will avoid promoting doctrine that directly opposes the public teaching of the elders in a way that sows division. We will regularly, generously, and cheerfully contribute toward the financial needs of this church in order to support the ongoing ministry of the word, purposes, and ministries of this church, and members in financial need. If I leave this church, I will seek to do so peaceably, notifying the elders, while looking to join another church that celebrates the same gospel, continuing to live out the spirit of this commitment to Jesus and his people. And may the God of peace who brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So what are some things that stand out to you uh, here that could help be a remedy? Not in, uh, or if, do you think there are things here that incubate cultural Christianity? That's fair too, but what are, what are some things here that stand out that could be a remedy to cultural Christianity? Yeah, Barry. Well, all of the points that are Do you think that's pretty clear what the expectations are? Yeah. Yeah. There's also about supporting and getting support in keeping with the faith. Well, the gospel doesn't take care of it. <laughs> people who are, you know, patient to him, love him, and if you can't, you know, it's Yeah, and that's intentional. And then Sarah talks about that when he shifted his membership process in his church. Of He was saying once he did, how amazing of an evangelistic opportunity it provided him. He said there were many. And again, this is Bible Belt uh, where he planted a church. He said there were so many that he turned away, not not in a you know bad sense, but basically like, hey, let, let's we need to walk through the gospel a little bit more before we continue. And they were willingly happy to do so. So he was talking about how much of a gospel opportunity membership class became for him. What? Yeah. Yeah, and there's not there's not a focus like a tunnel vision of just our church in this. At least I don't feel there is. And the other thing, what's the first word on most most of these paragraphs? We. Not I. I love that. We. We are the body. We are going to do this together. We will be accountable, not I, I, I sign the line, the dotted the dotted line and I'm good to go. Uh, anything else? It's pretty well defined expectations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's pretty clear in there. Uh, I do like that because as a pastor now too, and walking people through this, I, I'm happy that I get to walk through these these expectations that are pretty clear. And we can, if there's questions along the way, we can. That'll provide the opportunity. Well, what do you mean by this giving statement here? Like, what do you mean? I, I need to generously give. And what does this mean? What do I have to do? And, you know, a lot of people are going to look at this maybe through the lens of, like, legalism. Like, well, what's going to happen if I don't do this? And it just opens up a lot of good conversation. 
And that leads to Sarah's quote here, which I agree with. He says, I would rather have someone be an attender and know they are not a church member than be an official member and unsure of what that means. The good news is that meaningful church membership cuts through the very fabric of cultural Christianity. Church membership with low or no expectations accommodates cultural Christians. But being a member of a local church, as it was intended, means one is part of a local covenant community of faith in Jesus Christ. With that definition, cultural Christianity cannot exist. False believers will either flee the particular church altogether, or the light will go on in their minds, and they will see that something is missing in their lives as compared to true believers, faith and repentance. This difference needs to be clear and obvious. Belonging to a church is more, but certainly not less, than this starting point. Since New Testament churches were covenanted communities of individuals who had embraced the gospel. So I like how Sarah defines what a church member is here. He says, one who is part of a local covenant community of faith in Jesus Christ. That's what a member of a church is. One who is part of a local covenant community of faith in Jesus Christ. So then taking from this definition, then church members are essentially to be considered as covenanted communities of individuals who have embraced the gospel covenanted communities of individuals who have embraced the gospel. So with this in mind, and that means that faith and embracing the gospel should be number one to becoming a church member. You have to be a Christian, <laughs> said plainly. So how do we do our diligence in knowing that? We're not God. We can't see into the heart. We can't say, yeah, that person's regenerate. But that's not a justification or excuse to not do anything at all, Right? So step one means that to become a church member means that you are a believer in Christ. And this is considered regenerate church membership. It's called regenerate church membership. And Sarah says, allowing someone to join a church as a member without being sure that person understands the saving work of Jesus Christ and has responded by faith and repentance is allowing them to join a covenant community when they actually belong in an evangelistic conversation. It's allowing them to join a covenant community when they actually belong in an evangelistic conversation. So in order to become a member of a local church, one must first become a member of the universal church. Very important. Meaning church members are to be born again Christians. Now, as strange as it may seem, being a Christian is not a prerequisite for a lot of church membership processes. Um, the question may be asked, but we've already kind of tackled this, right? A simple question of do you believe in God or do you believe in Jesus? Yes, that's not enough, right? And so if, if, if anything, that's what it comes down to and that's what they just have to affirm, you're leaving a lot unchallenged or unchecked there. And, and unfortunately, a lot of churches too, it's not a prerequisite to, to be a believer, but it's more they're more concerned with inclusivity, right? Being accepting of all people because we want to grow as a church. And that's the monster that it becomes, right? The bigger budget you need to operate your church. Can you afford to move the ship a completely different direction and lose half of your people? No, because you're not gonna have the money coming in that you need to run all the things that you're running. and the third building expansion that you did last year that still needs to be paid off won't get paid. So this then becomes Pandora's box that gets opened up, right? It's sad to see um, where it, <laughs> um, where was it in the old Testament when they built the temple and there were so many rejoicing and then there were people that the elders were crying, lamenting over it. Um, where's that at? They were lamenting because it was God's presence wasn't there anymore. So here people were so excited because we got our temple back. Yes, we got our temple back and people were celebrating and rejoicing, but the elders who knew what the temple was like when God's spirit was there were weeping. Yeah. And I feel like this is, this is how I feel when I see these big churches going up. Like we should be celebrating and it's talked about what a joy. Look at Spokane Valley. Look at, look at the parking lots. Look how many people are attending church and deep down I weep 
because the bigger the building gets and the, and the more elaborate things get, the more you're opening that, that Pandora's box and you're just accepting whoever. And, and I'm sure you all have seen the tides change. And pastors, churches change their views on things as cultural pressures come in. It's a sad thing. And this is where stark distinctions start to form, really, between seeker-sensitive churches that we're talking about. And again, defining seeker-friendly churches, I did that earlier, but what I mean by that is basically churches that exist to operate from a philosophy that church on a Sunday is meant to evangelize, get new people in. It's not a gathering of family members. Um, so stark distinctions between these seeker-friendly churches and regenerate churches. Now, imagine a church of over 1,000 members that has like this lax membership that we're talking about, right? What impacts do you think this could have? Just whatever comes to mind in serving or church services. So this is huge church, over a thousand people. It has this lax membership process. What are the implications of this in, in all things in the church? Yeah, Barry. Yeah, it's a good one. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta staff up. Yeah. What are, so I, I've talked about opening Pandora's box. What are some other things that can be a part of that? No personal involvement. Okay, and then what are the implications of that? No personal involvement. What does that turn into? Yeah. Consumerism, yeah. What would a, oh, Josh, yeah. Well, when you combine weak discipleship, um, and a lack of gospel centrality in, in, in the membership stuff. And then you have people start serving, particularly with children, a deeply false teaching. And, and especially when you separate away from the rest of the church, the adults and the parents are all the same thing. Yeah. And Sarah in his book talked about. He's like, this is this is a, a crazy, crazy mentality of this church membership. He was talking about a buddy of his who drove nine hours to have his child baptized in the church he grew up in because he believed, because I was the church he grew up in as a child, that that was his church. So he attends a church where he lived and drove nine hours to go get his child baptized in this church that he doesn't attend just because it was his church where he grew up in. So again, this is the mentality. It makes sense to them, but, you know, Someone like us remembers here. It's like, why? Why? <laughs> what are you doing? Um, yeah. Other yeah. Yeah. I've experienced that. Yeah. It's weird. It's like the pastor becomes a celebrity and you can't get FaceTime with them. And um, what about like home groups? <clears throat> what would home groups look like in a church? Over a thousand people lacks membership or no membership at all. Yeah. One thought that comes to mind the whole thing is entrance of the door. Or at least doesn't lock the door. This thing should unlock. Church like believers. Yeah. Yeah. And theological abuse. Right? How do we know what the home group leader is teaching? We don't even know what that home group is because we have a thousand people and we need 80 home group leaders and we got to, and people are starting to complain because they can't get in the home group because they're full. So they got to start getting on a waiting list and we got to make them happy. So, Hey, we got some new people. Let's make them home group leaders. Um, and these are real things, right? Um, we know wolves come into the church. The Bible tells us that. And part of church leadership's job is to help protect the flock from wolves. And it's like, where's that protection in this scenario as well? Um, so there's a lot of, I mean, we could talk forever on this um, implications of this, but it's just something to think about. It's, it's sad, but my whole point in this is to really just hold up church membership biblically and say, this is why it's important. This is why we do it here at GCF. So the local church can be an incubator of cultural Christianity or it can be a remedy for it. Um, what are some ways we can, last question here, what are some ways we can engage with cultural Christians when it comes to this topic of church membership? So we've talked about all this. Let's say you're engaging with someone at work or whatever that comes to mind. What are some good ways we could do that? And, get, and remember we talked about asking lovingly frustrating questions and helping them to get lost. How do we do that in regards to church membership? Well, I think your example is a great example. 
Of course it is. <laughs> it's a great example. Thank you. Thank you, Taylor. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. Yeah, I mean, the obvious question of it is not really, um, you know, just saying, what's that mean to be a member? It's a great way for a person to kind of stop. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, because that's our that's the goal to open up a conversation to get to the gospel. And it could be a good door for that. Yeah. How mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that the reason for this, to be honest, is vulnerable people and say, like, that person takes the one time out for the name. Like, no matter what, they can give us something mm-hmm. from us, and that, like, we need accountability. Yeah, show me the way of, like, why I need it, and then maybe show people the dynamic to, like, the law to show what their authority is. And then, like, I actually, like, I got to do that's in me. I want to sometimes not have to do this. And, like, you don't need to earn. Yeah, and that's always a good approach, right? Because people are going to, even Ray Comfort's street evangelism, when, when he starts talking about how they're a lying, adultering thief, and they're like, well, you are too. And he's like, yeah, I am, <laughs> right? Because you're going to get defensive and be like, well, well, I'm sorry, I'm not like you, and I want to go to church every Sunday. And it's like, well, no, I don't. Yeah. And I'm a home group leader. I don't want to have home group on Wednesday nights sometimes. <laughs> so, but we need it, yeah. <clears throat> Any other thoughts on just good questions or ways you can engage somebody who says they're a member of a church. Yeah. 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 And I would recommend, um, there's a lot of ways, but just be thinking about this because this, these are very real things. Like hopefully are coming up in our lives when we're at work and with family members, people we know. Um, but one thing I, I really like is going to Acts chapter two, you know, and really walking through like here's what the church look like because most likely you're going to be dealing with people that don't know the scriptures well, other than John three sixteen and all the things in Hobby Lobby, right? Like seriously, that's what that's what they're going to know. <laughs> Open up to Acts chapter two and and walk them through like. Hey, let's look at what the church did, the very first church when it started up. What do you think it means by this? What do you think it means they had all things in common? Man, look how much they they met together. Do you think that's changed? Do you see this in your church? Why not? Um, Lovingly frustrating questions. So that's it. We're we're there for time. Next week, I don't remember what next week is on, but it's going to be about the church. It's either, uh, I think it's uh, altar calls and sinner's prayer. So it'll be a good one. Um, but thanks for your time. I hope this has been encouraging for you all. And, and again, just prayer is the most important thing we could be doing for the ones that we know, right? That maybe in this cultural Christian state, pray for illumination, pray for the Holy Spirit. And Lord willing, even as a result of this, this Sunday school series we've been doing, God can use that um, in great ways for people that are in your life. And that's what I'll pray for here now for you all. Father, we, we do pray for this very thing. God, I just pray that this wouldn't just be knowledge, even though it is so helpful to look at these things, to understand that the greatest evangelistic uh, mission opportunity in America are these cultural Christians, and, and we're on the front lines of it. So thank you for opening our eyes to that. But I do pray, Lord, that this information would transfer in a way that becomes real to my brothers and sisters out here. Lord, I pray that you would give them boldness and um, challenging these people, opening up gospel opportunities to, to let you shine, Lord. And we pray for you to save many as a result. Lord, I remember coming to even GCF and, and thinking, man, I've been a Christian for over 10 years and I feel like I'm going to church for the first time. And I pray that you would give that illumination to all these other people, to these cultural Christians, even here in Spokane Valley. 
wake them up. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be missionaries in this regard. In Jesus' name, amen.